This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. I like the the language of birthing uh, because uh, it implies that we go through stages of development. And and the irony, of course, uh, when you think about birthing, um, you think about the final stage, which is arrival. And mm-hmm. so, of course, what the soul's intent teaches and what the soul's intent is about is a is a is a philosophy and is a context is that we don't typically get here. We don't show up in our lives until something wakes us up to that. And many of us go an entire lifetime and literally never wake up or show up in our lives. And so I think it's that the burdening language, that, that concept of conception and gestation and then pregnancy implies that we are pure potential uh, when we are conceived uh, and that we come into the world as that pure potential, but then we get kind of sidetracked uh, in just basic survival. And of course, in that in that dilemma, we're stuck with the human ego. And uh, so, yeah. So I don't have if I have anything new to say about it tonight, other than just kind of go wherever your questions take me, which is what I always love about you, mm-hmm. is you tend to take me places that I wasn't planning on going. <laughs> So, uh, so when you when you saw the topic tonight, what what came to mind for you? Well, I love the um, using um, pregnancy and the stages of of pregnancy as um, uh, a way of arrival and connecting that to excuse me uh, spirituality. But I did have some some questions about that um, in your in your opening. Um, part of it says the irony is that you get here physically, not realizing that arriving spiritually was a whole other process. So could you explain a little bit more? And, and honestly, um, I love so many things about your teachings, but one thing that really stands out so much to me is how you bring clarity to the language of spirituality. Mm-hmm. So so my and around that is um, realizing that arriving spiritually was a whole other process. So what does that mean to arrive spiritually? Well, it, it's literally, uh, I, I think of it as, as kind of like three stages. Um, and I think this might even be a little bit Buddhist, in fact, the way I'm going to say this, but um, that, that we have birth, death, and then sacrifice. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is that that in the normal process of, of birthing and pregnancy and labor, we come into the world as a living human human being with with all kinds of potential, and but without the realization that 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 process of death and rebirth has to has to happen again and again and again, and and in fact. If you're moving along in some developmental continuum, then then uh, it should happen four times in a lifetime, and that is uh, is is the adolescence to young adult to midlife to old age. Those are the kind of the four stages of normal development of death and rebirth. 
but it could it can happen sooner than those four times. It can and it can happen more than those four times. It just depends on what your what your life kind of presents to you. But when I think of death and rebirth, um, what we tend to leave out of that is the suffering, <laughs> is the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so and so a spiritual birth really is letting go of the old version of self to arrive into the new version. Uh, in the existential uh, terminology, it's moving from a smaller container into a larger container uh, that you that you call your life, and um, and so you can see that being able to let go of the old allows the new to happen. And of course, we're at we're at that at that time of the year right now, and that we're, we're approaching fall. And a lot of people don't think of fall this way, but but it's really the shedding of uh, the previous two seasons. Uh, as we as we go into winter, so we're letting go of uh, spring and summer. Uh, is now we go into fall, and so we're shedding uh, that. And so being being in in touch with that is a cycle of your life is is the spiritual process. Uh, and mm-hmm. and of course the block that or the trap is that if you're caught up in 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 the psychology of who you are, you're going to miss the season. And you're going to miss the transition, and you're going to and you're going to be kind of pulled away from the natural cycle of things. And so, mm-hmm. getting into some kind of uh, rhythm of that is the key, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking um, that that we really do have to go. It's necessary to go through those developmental stages, but. It seems, and I don't know, because I only know life from my own experience, so I can't um, discern the whole world based on my experience, but it does seem, at least in our Western society, that a lot of us do get stuck um, uh, in adolescence, and we don't really mature into um, being adults, and um, at at least that's the way it seems to me at, at times. And um, to mature into adult and and even further, which, you know, I, I call soulhood, would be a matter of awareness, awareness and, um, yeah, that, that ability to kind of see the whole picture of things. And um, I don't know, um, how would you describe, you said there's four, uh, four containers, how would you describe um the the different ones how would you describe each one well well they're they're really all the same in the sense that they're all fear based in other words each container no. is constructed to give our lives predictability and to give us some sense of control of our universe and so each individual container uh, is built because of fear in the beginning uh, it becomes our cage of self protection which i've said in the past ends up becoming our prison well, it isn't a prison right away. We have to grow inside the container before it begins to feel small and constrictive, you see. So each container mm-hmm. has the same dilemma, that it's it's constructed because of fear uh, to, to give us some sense of security and some sense of predictability and stability in our lives. And then we mm-hmm. get there. And get kind of comfortable in that in that particular container, depending upon what stage we're in. And then we stay there until we outgrow it. Uh, but you said something earlier that's that's a real important piece. Why? Why? Uh, why should we even bother to move mm-hmm. through these containers? Well, the the answer is what you said before. Each time you're a little bit more awake. Each time you're a little mm-hmm. bit more present. 
and you've showed up a little bit more in your life, and this is the this is the point. Um, and so, ideally, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, we should be showing up and being present in our lives by the time we hit midway through our lives. And so, that 35 to 45 period of, uh, of time is the is clearly the wake up call that most of the culture is aware of. Are not aware mm-hmm. of the other two wake up calls that precede that nor are they aware that there's a, a fourth wake-up call as we approach the fourth container, as we transcend all containers, that each container has the same dilemma. Because remember, in the existential idea of this, there's only two emotions or feelings in the universe. There's love and fear. Fear is the reason that we construct a container, uh, and, uh, and, and the, the bars of these cages are made up of our beliefs and our thought patterns and what we think uh, of our place in the world. And then as we stay in that container long enough, those beliefs begin to stop working and they no longer fit. And so we have to rethink ourselves and reinvent ourselves. And so that rethinking and reinventing uh, means that we have to kind of walk through our fears very carefully uh, to get to the truth of the matter. And then, and then, of course, the truth sets us free. So we're literally going through that in a, in a, a, a developmental sense. We're going through that at least four times if we just kind of let it move at its own volition. If you have adversity, if you have trauma, if you have anything that wakes you up sooner than that, then you have an opportunity to get here sooner, to walk through those fears much sooner, and also get to truth and integrity in a, at a much higher rate. So you can leave mm-hmm. it to chance, you know, or you can embrace the adversity that you've been, that you've been dealt and get here a little bit faster. I think uh, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the, of the things that I've written is that we actually get here three times quicker because of suffering, <laughs> uh, three times faster because mm-hmm. we suffer our, our way, if we suffer our way here. If we wait for random chance, then it takes a lifetime, and, mm-hmm. and, and we may never get here at all, you see. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm thinking, too, um, you know, you said um, – to to emotions? How did you put that love and fear? Did you call them emotions? This is what the existential philosophy says. Yeah, that there's only two emotions. All the all the mm-hmm. uh, the bad ones that trickle down from fear, and all the positive ones trickle down from love. But love and fear are the two mm-hmm. key uh, the mm-hmm. key emotions uh, mm-hmm. in the universe, supposedly. And, and so, yeah. love and fear is why we construct the containers to begin with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm I'm thinking as you're saying that, especially about love and fear, and I'm kind of looking at the whole picture of life and the developmental stages, the containers that we go through, um, and kind of going back to the beginning of um, you know from infant to toddler to maybe I don't know four, five, six that in that developmental stage, I, I, the fear is necessary for to, to learn how to walk and to learn how to talk and to learn how to function in the world. So it, it, would that really be based on fear then? Probably not. It's based on survival, on, on learning how to right, get around right. in the world. Yeah, and so in that place of infant to, to toddler and and a little bit older, it's um, a place of um, kind of experiential 
and, you know, learning from experience. And I'm thinking as we grow and mature through the different stages of our lives and we get to um, um, where the containers are becoming larger and larger and maybe going away completely, that it's kind of like coming full circle back to a place mm-hmm. of experience without without a judgment of is this experience love or fear? This experience just is without judgment. Right. It, it would seem to right. me that I mean, well, well yeah. Love and fear is the uh, is the ambiance uh, of it all. Uh, but but the the irony is is that uh, as soon as we are born, we are dying. <laughs> so, in other words, death mm-hmm. is happening as soon as we arrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that we have left to uh, to understand is the sacrifice. And uh, and so death and I mean birth and death and sacrifice are not independent of one another. They are intertwined. Um, uh, and so it's to to reach a higher state of being, and, and we have to stop being uh, who we think we are and become who we really are. And so we have to embrace change. And so if we don't embrace change, then we make no sacrifices at all, you see. And so mm-hmm. the sacrifice is part of it. Um, but but that's the that's the part about it that's ironic is is that that as soon as we arrive. We are dying <laughs> simply because mm-hmm. of our relationship to the sun. You know, I mean, I mean, age is happening, time is passing, all those things are occurring. So the the question is, are we are we awake in the experience? And and mm-hmm. if you look at it in, uh, of a spiritual standpoint, we are awakened the first time, uh, or have the potential of being awake as we hit adolescence. And that's that time in our life when we're looking at, at at our family and our culture and saying, I know what, what everybody thinks and feels. Now I'm going to form my own opinion. That's really what adolescence mm-hmm. is about. When we, when we become young adults, we're, we're now looking at, uh, well, this is the path I think I'm going to follow. This seems to be the right one, uh, so I'm going to commit myself to this. I'm going to. I'm either going to take the path that's been cut for me, or I'm going to pick up the machete and cut my own way. But either way, this is what young adult is. Midlife mm-hmm. is okay. I I set off on this journey to find out my own opinions and get my own sense of it all. I I picked up the machete or I walked the path that was already cut for me. I've got the house, the car, the dog, the cat, all the things that I thought that were going to make me happy. Something's missing. It's me. I'm missing. <laughs> I need to find myself. And so midlife is that opportunity. And then the last container is I just wish somebody could see me. <laughs> That's what the mm-hmm. last container is. Mm-hmm. We, spend, we spend the first three stages, uh, you know, really kind of struggling with the fear of being seen only to finally get to midlife and the last stage and, and, and go, I just wish somebody could see me. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can see how that, that death and rebirth process is cyclical and it's never ending, and it's always kind of uh, it's always kind of there in front of us. But but if we're not aware of it, or we're not awake to it, then it, then we then we get out of sync with it, and that's mm-hmm. the piece that creates the angst uh, that people feel. You know, something's off. Mm-hmm. I can't put my finger on what it is, and that's it. They're out of they're out of sync with the natural cycles of their own lives. Uh, mm-hmm. As well as well as the as well as the seasons of the year of the planet that they live on, they're out of sync with that as well. 
Uh, so mm-hmm. they're because they're not because they're all related at some level. They're all mm-hmm. related. Yeah. A good example yeah. is uh, people that have uh, see what's it called uh, seasonal affective Sad. disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, SAD, which is again mm-hmm. the DSM five cool way of coming up with labels. You know, I believe that people that have that problem that there's a large percentage. I'm going to say I'm going to go out on a limb and say at least fifty percent of those people that are just out of sync with the seasons of their lives. They're not. They don't have truly seasonal affective disorder. They're mm-hmm. out of sync, period. And they've been out of mm-hmm. sync a long time. Uh, and so, and, and i got to be at least 50% correct on that because most of the labels mm-hmm. we give people are only about 50% accurate anyway. <laughs> so so, so there's, a, there's a large probability that there's a lot of people that are struggling with, uh, with fall and winter in regards to depression only because they're out of sync with their lives, period. And they have been for mm-hmm. some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 I was thinking too, as you were talking about uh that, that last container of, of wanting to be seen, but I, I was thinking how at a certain point, especially in our society, there's so much focus on um attaining and accomplishment and um so much on um looking good, I guess, and um, how we define success in our society that I, we, we get away from, to me, what are some really important values. We kind of get away from that and we put our value system on um, almost creating an image and that that just doesn't really fit for me because the, my value system doesn't really fit with creating an image. It fits with um, being authentic in my life, and that doesn't have anything to do with an image. It has to do with being naturally right. who I am. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, this business this business of uh, of using birth as spiritual language. Uh, you know, the the key thing I want the listeners to hear is just that. Each of these cycles of death, rebirth, and sacrifice are really tied to um, showing up, <laughs> literally just showing up in your life. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we're, we're okay with not showing up early on because we're trying to adapt and fit in and, and do what the culture has you know, conditioned us to do. But then there's a point where we get to the place where we can't do that anymore. We can't fake anything. We can't wear a mask anymore. We can't pretend anything. And and the reason we get to that breaking point is because we haven't shown up yet. You see, that all of that, mm-hmm. all of the angst about that is about how do I show up in my life and be the best version of myself. I saw a a, a film this week. I think I shared you the link. Uh, mm-hmm. What was his name? Uh, Parker Palmer or Palmer Parker? Mm-hmm. Let's get that backwards. Mm-hmm. But he mm-hmm. he talked about um, his own life at seventy five or seventy two, and he said that he said something that I feel very strongly about my own life, and that is is that you know I can look back at my at my life and say that at least in my relationships, in my engagements of work and profession, in my interactions with the world. The best and the worst of who I was was all there, and I at least was present. 
I was really in that moment. <laughs> and um, yeah, and 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 it, and it was important for me to 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 remember that because I got no brownie points for that, <laughs> you know, for showing up mm-hmm. in my life. Uh, yeah, because yeah. people didn't really understand, didn't didn't really understand um, the me that I was becoming as I was showing up. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. as I look back, as, as I look back at it, uh, you know, I wouldn't have done it any other way, except mm-hmm. for in a, in, a, in, a, in a present tense kind of way. And so that is the benefit of understanding the importance of the cycles of uh, death and rebirth, and and how it kind of ties to our own sense of presence and our own sense of being here yeah 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 gosh that's so important and i i did watch that that video and i thought it was really really great and it it kind of um something i've said kind of throughout my adult life um a little bit of a philosophy i guess that i've lived my life by it's like it doesn't matter to me so much what people do as long as they aren't hurting themselves or hurting somebody else and just be real no matter what that realness mm-hmm. is. If that, if that realness um, involves anger, then be angry. If that um, realness involves being sad, then be sad. Be whatever you are in that moment and then work through that and relate through that. Uh, and to me, that seems pretty simple. <laughs> and I think think yeah. I think my angst, my angst has been when people aren't real and and you kind of sense that and feel that and know that and then you can't really work through anything from from that place. So well, realness is uh, realness gets lots of brownie points for me. <laughs> well, that's that's a good point because one of the things that you're making a distinction on there is we in this shifting of death and rebirth is that we are moving more and more away from being a moral animal to mm-hmm. a, to somebody that's ethical. And in morals, mm-hmm. of course, are that there's a right and a wrong way to be. And being an ethic is that, you know, how how do I do what is good for, for myself and others, and how do I stop doing what is harmful to myself and others? That's the ethic. And so, and so we're we're looking at a context of of how to be the best self, where which is not the same thing as how do I be the right self, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so that 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 that's an important piece of of what's happening in death and rebirth is that we're shifting from a moral perspective, which is a two dimensional perspective and an egoic perspective, to a much more heart centered, compassionate view of oneself in relationship to the world. And so, yeah, it's a it's 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 critical that we understand that and and that's not possible without sacrifice which means mm-hmm. it's not possible without suffering which means it's not possible without letting go and so and this is a, and this is with an ego that doesn't want to let go of anything <laughs> with an ego mm-hmm. that wants to keep everything exactly the same you see because mm-hmm. the ego doesn't doesn't uh know the present and has no concept of the future. It only knows the past. So you're dragging this. It's like you're dragging this little kid along with you, you know, you know, scratching and kicking the whole way. And you're going, Lily, it's going to be okay. Just keep, just, just keep pulling along. It's going to be okay. Just keep coming. And, and that's what you're doing. You're dragging that, uh, that inner child into the present. And, and, and it's literally supposed to scratch and kick because without the, 
without the the push and the pull, there would be no movement. So mm-hmm. without the the tugging and the pulling from uh, from the ego, there would be no movement. Without the the friction of the human spirit, there would be no motivation. So these things are important for us to move as we grow and and, and get to this existence at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you know the the labor, the going through the labor of of getting here, of of arriving. Which yeah, there's there's definitely a, a payoff for going through that la- labor. You get to be you in your life. What what more could you ask for? <laughs> I think that would be the easy part. I mean, I had uh, had somebody ask me at one of the workshops that I that I did in Chicago with you that. Um, if the soul was so wise and the soul was so intelligent, then why does it keep this so mysterious? Why doesn't it make it easier? Uh, and and the implication in the question was is that the soul was conscious. Well, the soul was not conscious. We are. <laughs> and so and so the soul was waiting for us to be awakened enough so it can be exactly what it was intended to be. And uh, and so the the hmm. process of getting here, the process of getting here, uh, should be easy. You would think. I mean, it, you know, it's like, it's like I, I say to people all the time that if the soul's intent uh, is that we arrive, then it's really saying that we embrace the incarnation that we already are. And why have we not done that? Well, it's the human ego that gets to blame for that. But the ego is only uh, is only one one part of the problem. It's the collective ego that reinforces us staying asleep. Uh, and so uh, and so it's not it's not, it's not just getting a handle on our own personal ego and it's scratching and kicking. We got to drag the whole world with us scratching and kicking. You see as well. Uh, and this is what I mean when I say you get you get no brownie points for showing up in your life. Uh, one of the one of the podcasts that you turned me on to last week, uh, uh, I think her name was Courtney Martin, said that mm-hmm. she thought that showing up showing up in the world was a courageous act, and mm-hmm. uh, and, and that it was a, and that it was indication of courage. And that's what she, that's really what she means is is that uh, showing up in your life is a courageous thing because uh, not everybody's going to get it, <laughs> not everybody's going to get it or even appreciate it at some level. That's true. So That's true. Daring to be who you are is courageous. <laughs> I wish I'd known it in my 30s when I was getting so much grief for being me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and to me, when when you have people around you that are supposed to be friends and family, to me, loving and supporting and encouraging someone is would be you get behind them to become authentically who they are the the fullest of themselves that that they can be you wouldn't you wouldn't want to squash that in any way by judging it as right or wrong good or bad right <laughs> it, right that, that makes no sense to me that has, that has nothing to do with with what i know love to be so maybe we need to learn a little bit more about love too so yeah well, well, and that and that love is a place, you know, like like truth and freedom is a physical dimension. I mean, that's really. I mean, when you talk about these containers, uh, what you're really doing is you're talking about gradually moving from a two-dimensional perspective of the world 
into a third and fourth and fifth dimensional perspective and and so so that that shift in clarity that shift in being able to see how vast you are and how vast the world and the universe is that that's a major shift um in mm-hmm. a process it's a it's a process you get an abrupt view of this an abrupt vision of this if you've ever had a, a near-death experience if you've ever had a moment where uh you've gotten really horrific bad news about your health or or something just horrific has happened to you you get a moment of this clarity and don't realize what you're seeing when you say right. my whole life flashed before my eyes well that that capacity right. to see your whole life doesn't have to be a flash it is the state of your reality right now you don't need a mm-hmm. flash you don't need a, a two before between the eyes to see the whole of your life you can see it right now mm-hmm. without right. without being scared in, into that into that perspective you see but the mm-hmm. human ego needs that needs that push badly it needs mm-hmm. that two before thing I to be able to see. Yeah. I was also thinking that you can kind of get those um awake moments not just from near death, but um I guess it might be uh labeled if you have to put a label on something, but near life where, you know, you just uh maybe um take a trip to the mountains and you, you just see this mm-hmm. awe-inspiring mountain or landscape and it's just being so awake in in life that it's it's um, the contrast is like, oh my goodness, why don't I feel this all the time? Why do I have to be, you know, on top of a mountain or to, to have this experience? So, yeah. Well, we jokingly yeah. talked about this once before off the air, and that was that uh, sadly we we take uh, this level of awareness and this concept of showing up in the world like we do vacations or holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. We we take the holiday, we take the vacation, we take a recess, if you will, a time out from the human ego, and then and then in that time out, we might have a moment of clarity only to, to then go back to our routine and forget that that's supposed to be a way of life, not a vacation, not a recess, mm-hmm. not a time yeah. out, you see. Yeah. And until yeah. we begin to treat this, and, and until we begin to treat this business of death and rebirth as sacred, uh, then we're just going to be on recess and timeouts. We're not going to actually get there, you see. And some mm-hmm. people settle for that. Some people settle for the timeouts and for the recess and think that that's okay, that that's good enough. And mm. all, uh, it's like they haven't got like it's like they haven't got enough time. You know, they've got places to go, people to see, things to do. They haven't got time for that. And literally, that's what you know that that time of contemplation, introspection, reflection. It, it you know was set aside for Sundays, and it wasn't to just attend church. It was a day of rest. It was a day away from work and vocation. It was a day of avocation and reflection. And uh, mm-hmm. we've gotten away from that. Terribly gotten away from that. And um, mm-hmm. so at least you know one day a week, it's built into the model that we're supposed to be taking a moment out. Not waiting for the vacation in the summer or the vacation in the winter or that one trip to the mountains. We should be weekly um, 
giving a sacred space to this soul that is incarnate and this soul that wants to be here and fully uh, present in life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If not, if not daily, because I know for me it's um, really, really important to um, take time to become um, centered before I kind of mm-hmm. begin my day, because um, there's there's lots of things in life that you know can meet you on your path throughout the day. That if you don't take that that time to become centered and kind of grounded in in your true self, it you can get knocked off of that um, um, pretty quickly. So to to me, I I have to take that time to do that because it's easier to do that to take the time to do that in the morning than wait until I get kind of knocked off center and try and get find my way back. So. I was trying to make it easy by saying one day a week. Of course, daily would be the <laughs> ideal. Uh, uh, but one day a week would be a lot for a lot of people to just take mm-hmm. the one day yeah. and, right. and find and find a sick space and a sacred moment to to um, to connect to their inner lives. I mean, I, I'd be quite happy if they just did it one day a week. I'm not mm-hmm. going to push for every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but. Um, yeah which is certainly more than once a month and certainly better than twice a year, which is kind of where we are right. in the culture. Uh, we, yeah, we yeah. don't, we, we don't really take much time out to cultivate uh, uh, this process nor to participate in the cycle of our own evolution. And that's really the whole premise of the soul's intent is that you're, you're, in, you're evolving in spite of what you may be thinking and what you may be doing. The only thing mm-hmm. that sets you apart, from from one person to the next is how present you are in that evolution, and um, mm-hmm. so you can, you can evolve slowly and methodically and 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 kind of accidentally on purpose, <laughs> or you can be fully awake in your life and embrace it uh, in a much more conscious kind of fashion, and that's the difference I think uh, that happens once we hit once we hit midlife. I think that's the that's the critical time at least. Uh, in the culture is that uh, that's the time it should absolutely be embraced uh, up mm. until that point. Yeah. You can kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Yeah. 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 I like that word uh, embrace because especially um, as we age, honestly, uh, I, I know for myself, there's just an appreciation for everything really. I mean, just everything. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I don't I don't need something big and exciting and, you know, earth-shattering. And just, you know, a nice summer night with the breeze blowing or seeing, you know, a beautiful you moon. Go. You know, whatever it yeah. might be, I just appreciate so many things. A smile on a person's face. I mean... It's it's endless, really, when you are grateful and appreciate that um, you're here in your life and and you're awake in it and and present. Well, you remember me talking talking to you about the the uh, the uh, movie uh, Joe Pesci was in, where he played a hobo, and 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 every mm-hmm. time he had a special moment, he put a rock in a bag, and one of the yeah. kids he was. He was he was a hobo living in the in the furnace room of Harvard University and and uh, and the kid that he was uh, talking to in the movie was studying to be a sociologist or a politician or something and 
And so Joe Pesci says, do you think that you're going to change the world or that you know enough about life? And he says to Pesci, what, you're a hobo. What could you possibly know? And he pulls out this bag of rocks and pours, that, mm-hmm. pours it into the kid's hand. And the kid goes, what, what, life is a bag of rocks? He goes, no. He said, this white rock was when I met my wife. This, this, this gray rock is when my son was born. Um, this rock over here is when I went to Vietnam. I mean, so he had really kind of earmarked these special moments in his life by just putting rocks in a bag. Well, that, that to me was powerful because it, it, it drives home the point that it doesn't have to be, like you said, a big grandiose thing to, mm-hmm. to sit down in life in one moment and be grateful uh, for, for the small things, not just the big things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and, and, to, and yeah. to have some level of gratitude about that and to earmark that in your life, to kind of bend the, if you're reading a book that is your life, you kind of earmark the page you know, <laughs> you kind of earmark the page mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to go back and read that again. I'm going to go back and do that again. And that certainly is the way I've approached my own life is, is that I've earmarked mm-hmm. a lot of pages in my life. And, and I've, tried to, I've tried to go back and do them again. And sometimes you can, mm-hmm. sometimes you can't. But um, yeah. I'm not yeah. going to I'm, I'm stop earmarking pages. You know, Ernie, you said something a little bit ago in in this conversation, and I wrote it down because I wanted to go back to it. Um, You said, the soul is not conscious, we are. Um, Mm -hmm. So I kind of get that. I mean, I I know the the awareness of, of soul awareness. I know that. But when you say the soul is not conscious, we are. So... Well, I'm going to I'm going to fall back on 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 Harris's concept of consciousness that that there is not a subjective experience to be Irma's soul. There's a subjective experience to be Irma, mm. and uh, and because we don't know the subjective experience that is Irma's soul, you see, mm-hmm. uh, and so that I, I, I like the way he defined consciousness is the capacity to know the subjective experience to be behind the eyes that is you. And behind the eyes that is me, uh, we we can't say I can't say at this level of my own work uh, that the soul that there's a subjective experience to be the soul that is me, because that's that's beyond my knowing. Um, mm-hmm. That's out of my realm of knowing. Uh, so that's what I mean when I say the soul isn't conscious. That the soul okay. experiences experiences this existence this existence based upon all of our senses. And this body, and and since and so it, it its experience is contingent on on the antenna that is us, <laughs> uh, and all of the senses and all of the organs that make that that make that experience possible. Uh, without that, no. the, the soul would. Yeah, does that make sense? I, the uh, the movie that I thought handled this really well was City of Angels. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, if you, if you can think of of. Uh, the key character in that movie who played the angel uh, uh, Cage, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, Nicholas uh, Cage. When he wanted to be, when he be, when he wanted to become human, he had to had to fall from the building. He didn't dive; he had to literally let himself fall to the earth mm-hmm. without catching mm-hmm. himself. And then as soon yeah. as he did that, he woke up and his mouth was bleeding and he was hurting. And he was laughing at his pain. And and so for the first time he could taste, he could smell, he could feel, and so this is what I mean: that without mm-hmm. without this 
without the body, without the senses and the organs that, that, that is us, that makes up the antenna that is us, the soul doesn't have an experience. It experiences life through us. Well, and, and when I talk about the soul's intelligence, you know, uh, you know, I'm talking about life and its intelligence, which means there are some mm-hmm. particular laws and, uh, and specific things that are unique to life and unique to the soul that, uh, that are givens in terms of how it dictates and orchestrates um, life as we know it, which is different than life as we experience it, that the soul is unconscious because it doesn't have – it needs us, the, the sense organs and the body and the antenna that we are, to experience this existence. But the irony is it can't do that. It can't do that unless we're fully here, unless we show up 100%. You see, you can't do that. And so Mm -hmm. that really is the angst of the human spirit. The angst of the human spirit Mm -hmm. is to motivate us to do exactly that. Yeah. Personality is just just the ego and all of its identification. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you can see. And, and the human spirit really, its primary role is to, is to try to recover uh, the soul's intent, which is incarnation, mm-hmm. to be embodied. Its entire mm-hmm. angst is driven, uh, or, it's in the, or the entire purpose of the human spirit's angst is for us to fully feel our incarnation, which, yeah. means, which would mm-hmm. mean to be fully, fully embodied. And, uh, right. and, so, and because the human spirit remembers what it was like to not be embodied. And uh, so, yeah, it, yeah. So I, the, the whole, the whole drive of the human spirit, the whole relationship between the soul and human spirit is that is to mm-hmm. motivate us into a, an awakened embodied state through yeah. the cycles of death and rebirth and sacrifice. Yeah. And you can't have death and birth without sacrifice. It's important. You can't eliminate those three things are kind of married to one another. Like I talk about the 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 soul, spirit, ego, and heart having a symbiotic relationship. Well, death, birth, and sacrifice also are symbiotic. They all are intertwined and working towards the same goal, which is mm-hmm. present. I was also thinking... Um before the show, I was, for some reason, um, nature, nature came to mind and, and how in some ways, you know, we're, we're, we can definitely learn from nature and we um, are definitely like nature. We are nature. Um, But I was thinking um, that as human beings, we do get this opportunity kind of in in the same um, physical form, we get this opportunity to um, die and be born again. And um, I was thinking of um, like a a flower kind of – kind of going from the, the place of bud into bloom and a, a butterfly, a cocoon breaking from a butterfly, um, just a seedling kind of breaking through the, the soil and, and the process mm. of, of what nature goes through. But nature kind of, it just allows it. And, and there is a death and rebirth but as human beings, we have the opportunity to um, 
become aware of ourselves in that death and 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 rebirth and um if we miss that opportunity it definitely is a missed opportunity that um we can't get back and i think it's really important well, to to be aware have, of that because we have egos yeah and and because we have egos Irma we we tend to focus on the death you know we don't focus yeah. on the life the life after death i think that this is the problem is is that this is probably a good kind of segue to close the show is is that if there's one thing i want folks to hear tonight is is that that i said before the death and rebirth and sacrifice are all intertwined and related um if you're focused uh on the death uh which is the change the transition uh whether it be whether it be an abrupt change or a subtle and uh, change that's kind of crept up on you over time, uh, it doesn't mean literal physical death. It means that you are dormant because that's mm. what it means in nature. As we approach as we approach fall and the leaves fall off the trees and the flowers and the grass uh, turn brown, uh, it's just dormant. It isn't 100% dead. Uh, it's going to come back to life in the spring. And so mm-hmm. I want the listeners to, you know, to, to remember that the human ego focuses on the death and holds on to the death and the grief of the dying so much that we forget that on the other side of this is, is rebirth and that, and that the death that we are experiencing, no matter how tragic or traumatic it may be, thrown us into a state of dormancy. Uh, yeah. And we get to choose we get to choose how long we stay dormant. And that's what I meant about the affective uh depression, the seasonal affective disorder mm-hmm. is that I think that they that there's a bunch of those people that are just dormant and they've been dormant for so long they think it's their natural state. And 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 that can happen because the ego will convince us that dormancy means death. And, uh, and because ego doesn't because ego doesn't want to change, and it doesn't have any sense of the future, so it has no sense of the possibility of rebirth. Mm-hmm. So the ego has to be taught this in the same way that you parent the, uh, a child to walk through your fears and and uh, and let go of, of particular beliefs to get to a place of truth and a place of freedom and love. You, you do you have to coddle that ego into that. Uh, uh, that perspective, it's the same thing with the, with this concept of death and dormancy. That you that uh, it's so much um, healthier and certainly a much more spiritual truth to say that one is dormant in their lives than to say that one is dead in their lives. And and I like mm-hmm. dormancy because I can wake you up from that. I know with a little bit yeah. of sunshine and water, you're gonna you're gonna pop right through the soil. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. While problems manifest psycho-spiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And The Soul's Intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom, and how in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice.